All right, the 2022 MLB draft is finally over, but that doesn't mean there's any time to sleep or rest or catch up on life or anything else. It's time to get right back into more activity. The month of July anymore for baseball is just absolutely crazy now that baseball has decided that the draft, the all-star game, the trading deadline, the Hall of Fame has always been the month of July. All this stuff is packed in July. Like Baseball decided to stuff all of its events in the, the one month of the season and then everything else just be kind of normal. I don't know. There's a lot to talk to this talk about this week. I'm Justin Latta, joined by Willie Hood. This is the Guardians of the Future podcast. Willie, have you caught up on sleep? Are you ready to, to dive into all the stuff we have to talk about today? Life is too short to sleep, Justin. It's true. You just sleep when we're, we're I don't want to say dead because I don't want to bring that up, but we can sleep <laughs> we'll another time. Yes. Yes, you can rest after you've done it all. You've uh, written... Quite a bit this month, though, I will say. And, and shout out to uh, to you, to Arthur, and to all of our readers. This is another um, record-breaking month at Guardians Baseball Insider, our busiest month of the year, as, as it has been since the new site has um, dropped in, in the summer of 2020. Uh, Willie, you made our site the place to come in June of 2020 for the draft. Last year and this year, each of our each draft month since our new site has rebranded has been the most popular month of the season and uh, July was no different. So thanks to all the readers. Thanks to Willie for putting all that together. 21 draft picks written about uh, not to mention, you know, all the stuff he did before the draft and then a uh, undrafted free agent signing profile. That's all up on the site now. So if you missed any of the draft coverage from this month, everything's up there and there'll be draft page at the tab, the top of our, our homepage. Um, and then you spent what Sunday night talking to me till like midnight on Twitter about the first round pick and then, uh, the, the for whole first day of the draft really. So are you, uh, are you ready to hash it all out again? Let's do this. All right, let's do it. So, uh, this is going to be a draft heavy, uh, podcast. We'll get to some minor league stuff. This will probably be a long one. I'm who are we kidding? It's always long, but uh, this will probably be just a long one. It'll be draft heavy again because the draft is over and we have a lot to talk about. So um, we we did discuss a lot of the Chase Lauder pick at 16 on the Twitter spaces, which I will try to find a link to that and include it in the description of the podcast. And I'll share it again on Twitter because we did spend a lot of time on it on, the, on that discussion. So I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because I'm sure a lot of people listen. But if they didn't... Um, just real quick, Willie, your thoughts on Chase Slaughter at 16, and also I want to get into the other options they had available at 16 and why they might have went that way. Slaughter's uh, a good pick, good player. Uh, somebody I wasn't 100% sold on, I think I've pretty well made that known publicly. I think there's high upside here. Uh, Dan O'Dowd compared him to Kyle Tucker. Um, I said your floor is probably Tyler Naquin. We might get... Tyler O'Neill, let's go for that. You know, that's that's still a very good outcome. I love Tyler O'Neill and would love it if the Guardians went and got him. So, you know, I think he's uh, he's a big guy, 6'4", 235, likely to slow down, but I've seen plus grades on his speed. You don't see guys that speed that fast and maintain it over their careers. Um, so I think he slows down, eventually moves to right field because he's got an arm that can handle right. I think it's above average to plus. I think he, 
he was up to 94 on the mound because he also pitched for James Madison a little bit too. Uh, so there's that. He's an athletic um, guy that was a two-way player for, for a minute. Um, some swing issues, shifts that back foot when he swings, cheats a little bit on velocity. I, I think spring his hands down a little bit and he'll get to the velocity a little bit better. Um, Jared pointed out that he's self-taught, so his mechanics might be a little bit off. Uh, that may become come from where part of that is coming from. And he's not from a larger school. He's from James Madison. So, you know, maybe there's some coaching. Um, Talon is there. I think he's raw because he's not your typical three-year player in that one of his three seasons was was COVID, and that was shortened by COVID. Of course, you have his uh, sophomore season. He breaks out on the Cape and impressed there, hit almost 300 and uh, knocked knocked in, I think, nine home runs, which was tied for the lead, if I remember right, in the Cape. Um, does take a lot of walks, so there there is a good approach there. Um, but he missed some time this spring with a broken foot, so that's Chase DeLauder. I, I think it's a solid pick. I, I like it more if they get him at, at about $3 million, which is what I anticipate. Yeah, the bonus will definitely make a big difference there. I mean, they, they had options on the board they could have gone with. I mean, Justin Crawford was still there. Cam Collier was still there, although we saw today that Cam Collier got $5 million, which I don't think Cleveland was going to pay at that spot, which is why he got to the Reds, because the Reds agreed to pay $5 million and nobody else was willing to do that with him, um, at least where he was. I don't know if he bought – I don't know if they bought him down, because you know the Orioles easily could have paid him $5 million, but obviously – the first 10 picks you're not getting you're going to be asking for more than five million if you go there so i don't know that that was an interesting case of where that went but um i would say my friend talking to my friend greg from Northside bound um who is pretty wired into the cubs organization they were big fans of termar johnson and cam collier um Going Kate Horton there, they actually saved a little bit more money. So they got him, I think, at four five or four point seven million. So I think that was a money saver pick that they were able to come back and uh, get Jackson Ferris in round two. That was kind of the rumor that they were looking for uh, a prep arm in round two. They were hoping it would be Noah Schultz uh, because he was an Illinois kid and ended up being uh, Jackson Ferris, who I think is a very good pick for them. I would have been happy if Cleveland took him at, at 37. Yeah, the draft did go all, all kinds of different ways. And again, we have a lot of this discussion on the uh, the Twitter spaces. So again, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll link that and I'll and check that out. Because we had a lot of there. I'm, I'm generally okay with the DeLauder pick. I mean, I, it wasn't really one that you and I had really planned a ton on. I mean, we, we knew he was an option considering the metrics and um, how he fits their model, his age, his performance in the Cape Cod League yeah. and he walks more and he strikes out, which he did all throughout his career. I think, like you said, the biggest knock is limited track record um, competition. But again, he he played well in the Cape Cod League, so you can't dismiss that. And, and the mechanics look goofy to a lot of people, but um, goofy for the lack of a better term. They look different, I should say. They look different than how most guys do it. So um, that's, the, that's the thing Cleveland doesn't mind either. They like guys that you know, they're not afraid to take guys who have certain mechanics, whether it's through hitting or swinging or uh, pitching and, and make some changes. If they see that something they can change in a guy's delivery or swing that can unlock something or help them get better or maintain, you know, they're not afraid to do that. So maybe like you said, there is something they can coach within the lauder that they think will 
help him against pro pitching. You know, there's there's rumors about how he cheats and that swing to get to velocity, like you, I think you mentioned. You know, maybe Cleveland's not scared off by that. Maybe they think that's not a, not, a, not a true statement, or, or even if they. Yeah, maybe there's something that's a good athlete. There's no questioning that. I think he's a good athlete. And um, I know people will, will look at the track record and they will say, well, they didn't do well with Tyler Naquin. I guess he had a couple productive years, but overall not a, not a I guess not exactly what you're hoping for from a first round pick, although he he's had a pretty good career. I mean, it wasn't like he was a bust or anything. He made it. Um, didn't work out with Clint Frazier, although it helped him land um, Andrew Miller, which, you know, that's what you want to do with your first round pick, right? If you can you can use a first round pick and turn him into a a guy like Andrew Miller who helps you make the World Series. You do it. That's considered a win. And then what it didn't didn't go great with Bradley Zimmer, obviously, and we're still trying to figure out with Will Benson, even though things look good for him right now. So you might look at the track record and say, well, we don't like this pick for that, but I don't think you can you can just say they had a bad track record of selecting outfielders or college hitters in the first round and automatically dump the pick because a every player is different and b this is a new group you know this is a new a new um uh amateur scouting group you know barnes be leading this and going using different ways to identify guys so i think that um you can't just say because they failed in the past they can't do it now because you know if you look based on the past remember they drafted jeremy sowers and how that turned it out well they should never take college pitching in the first round ever again see they, they were able to change the narrative around that because they, they developed good college pitching now. So they have to find a way to do it with college hitters. And, you know, why not start with a guy like Chase DeLauder who has all the talent in the world? And um, or we, could, we could point to a couple of college guys in-house already that are performing at a high level, which is Stephen Kwan and Will Brennan. So there's a track record there. And those guys may be a little bit different than, than Chase DeLauder, but you're right. They have, they have taken some college hitters and developed them pretty well. So... Yeah, there's no reason to discount it for that reason, but um, I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't want to say it's like a, a boomer bust pick, but they did compare to maybe what they – I mean, high school hitter is just as risky as anything else. You know, we've seen that with Carson Tucker so far. So there's no no guarantees that even going a prep uh, – the, the safest route would have been college pitching, right, which is what they did in the second round at the CBA, I should say. Um Justin Campbell, I thought, was was a really good pick for them at, at 37. Um, I know there's a couple of ways they could have gone there, but I think based on how they went in the first round, I don't know. I think you, I think you were pretty, you were pretty heavy on Campbell at this pick, were you not really? Yeah, um, if you listen to the spaces, I mentioned him first thing whenever you asked who I thought they would go with there. Um, just made a lot of sense to me. I liked him at 20. I thought he was a potential pick at 16, even as an underslot. Uh, guy but gotta love the frame six seven 220 uh four pitches has above average to plus command you know um that high arm slot a lot of deception and, and i think that there's velocity to be had with him 90 to 94 generally gonna sit like 92 to 94 but can run it up to 97 on occasion um you know has that plus change up I, I think there is definitely middle of the rotation upside with him you think he's a guy that can move fast as well? I think he will just because of the command. Um, he's still relatively young for the class too, um, just a shade 
a month or two younger than than average. Um, but yes, I think he could move relatively fast. I think he'll go straight to Lake County next season. And you're looking at probably two and a half, three years of development there. Yeah, I mean, he could be double A next year, which is no different than Tanner Bybee. So, yeah, wouldn't shock me there. Yeah, I think with him and Messick, even I think Messick is one that they may be able to unlock a little bit, and both of them could end up in double A. Yeah, and just in addition to mechanics, um, you know, strength training and just um, helping these guys kind of reshape their bodies. You know, Tanner Bybee. Mm-hmm not out of shape by any means when he got into pro ball. I think he just mentioned that he was training to be more explosive and just, just training differently as, as a professional versus he did in college. And that's maybe the difference between um, a pro strength training team versus a college strength training team. And, you know, Campbell and Mesa could both benefit from that and you can unlock, I mean, Campbell already gets up to 97. So reasonable that, you know, you could see him sit in the mid nineties and top out at 99. If, if, he goes the way Bybee is and um, trains to be a little bit more explosive. And Messick, you know, the same thing, sitting around, what, uh, low 90s, 89, 92, yeah. gets up to, what, 94? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it would I, not I, be surprising if he was low 90s up to 95. With that low arm slot, he's got a lot of deception, too. And, again, another guy with excellent command. I think his walk rate was, like, around 1.5, 1.6. That's easily a plus, double plus command grade. Um, how that carries over in pro ball, I don't know, you know. But I, I definitely think there's more to unlock there. Get him into, get him into the physical shape of being able to pitch every five days, every six days too, and uh, just get him stronger. It, it's a short frame, compact frame, but he is uh, he's a smart pitcher, so. I, I definitely like that pick there too. Yeah, the stuff is there, so I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you see a jump from him in terms of um, you know velocity and stuff, especially as as he gets into to pro training and kind of reshapes some things. Um, interesting to note two different things here. We mentioned Lauder's a two way player uh, coming into college, so was Justin mm-hmm. Campbell, I believe, and then I don't know about Parker Messick, but uh, two guys who were two way players. Yeah, uh, Campbell was a two-way player, and Messick hit some, I believe, as a DH, though. He had a home run his freshman season. Um, Campbell was actually a really good hitter, had good walk rates, uh, gave that up his junior season to focus entirely on pitching. Yeah, so that's starting to become more of a trend for them, too, as, as you're seeing a lot of uh, two-way players in their drafts. And then I also thought it was interesting that The, um, got a lot of his flack for his inability to hit, you know, better competition came against uh, Parker Messick, who obviously had a great, uh, mm-hmm. when they faced Florida State, obviously Parker Messick had a lot of success against Chase DeLauder in that series. So um, also kind of ironic, but yeah, two-way players is becoming more of a, uh, more of a thing for them. Let's, let's talk about day two a little bit. We're not going to, I don't think we're going to get into every pick <clears throat> hardcore here. I mean, we can if we have time, but um Day two was, so we just covered all the day one picks, rounds one, CBA, and two. Uh, day two was rounds three through ten. So that is Joe Lampy, Nate Furman, Guy Lipscomb, uh, Dylan DeLucia, Javier Santos Tejada, uh, Jackson Humphreys, Austin Peterson, and Jacob Zibin. 
So quickly, Willie, uh, one or two guys from from day two that really stood out to you from that group. Uh, I like Joe Lampy. I like him quite a bit. I got to go to my favorite pick on day two, which is Jacob Zibin, the youngest player in the draft, a guy originally from Canada that went to TXNL uh, Academy down in Florida. But I, I think there's a lot of projection with him. Um, I had him number 69 overall. So essentially a second round grade for him. Um, getting him signed in the organization and taking your time developing him. There, it's a two seam, four seam. Um, I think it's a slider and a change if I remember right. But very exciting to add such a young arm with a good frame. Uh, I think that continued that will continue to get stronger. I know Keith Law kind of said he had a mature body already, but um, he did add two inches and 25 pounds to that frame. I suspect that there's probably a little bit more um, muscle mass to come on it. He's already running around 220. So if he hits 230, 240 at 6'4, I, I would not be a bit surprised. I just think he's going to fill out a little bit more. Um, looks very athletic to me. Just a kid that I think uh, has a huge upside. They're going to have to be very patient with him. It's going to be a long road for him. Um, I think those two were probably probably my favorite picks on, on day two. I do like Nate Furman a lot too. Um, smaller player, plays second base and center field, gets on base, not a lot of power, but he can slap it where they're not basically um, and use his speed and a quality defender at either position with a lot of speed. Yeah, I would say probably Nate Furman sounds a lot like Stephen Kwan at second base, so mm -hmm. not really a shock there. That's a good one. He made the Cape Cod League All-Star game. He didn't get to play, obviously, because he's obviously going to sign, but um, he did make the Cape Cod League All-Star team, which was nice to see. <clears throat> um, I'm with you on Zibin. I'm surprised he was there mm -hmm. at, at round 10. I think at that point I thought he was going to school. So. Yeah, it, it's kind of the strategy that the Angels went with last year and this year. Um, they had uh, – a pitcher last year from Florida, I can't remember his name in particular, he went to IMG Academy that they kind of floated down to the 11th round, paid about a, a million, 1.25 million last year. So it's similar thing with Zibin. He goes in round 10, just around earlier. I think Cleveland probably popped him in round 10 because they were afraid other teams with money, potentially the Angels in front of them, um, who signed Caden Dana for 1.5 million as an 11th round draft pick. Um, I think Zibin would have probably been a target of theirs there. So Cleveland made sure that they got a guy that they liked in the 10th round instead of waiting until the 11th. Um, take a risk. The kid could always say, you know what, I want to go to school. He does have a South Carolina commit, initially committed to Kentucky and then changed late. Um, so he would have two good options, either taking the money or going to school. But I think he's going to sign from all indications. Rumors are there's already a deal in place over a million dollars. So. Yeah, he's going, you know, eight hundred something thousand over slot there. So we'll see. Yep. That's a lot of uh, money saving to be had. And then Cleveland has some college guys they can save some money on. You know, in rounds uh, three through nine there, outside of Santos and and Humphreys. I like Furman with you. I like Zibin. I think I, I'm really interested in Austin Peterson. I like mm -hmm. the slider, big kid. Um, I think he was what was he number? He was in the top three of strikeouts. And uh, NCAA, I know, obviously, the is that the Big East? Is that as UConn in the ACC, Big East? I can't remember, but. Um, I don't remember. Obviously, um, yeah, obviously not like a, a ton of great college baseball competition in that conference, but 
a lot of strikeouts for a guy who doesn't throw particularly hard and has a big frame and has that nice slider. So I'm interested in him. And then um, I like Dylan Delucia too. I mean, had a great end of the season for Ole Miss, mm-hmm. came on strong. So they, I'm assuming Cleveland really liked what he did during the postseason. And another guy, if they can maybe unlock a couple more miles an hour out of him, I think you could see something interesting out of him. And, and they like those Ole Miss pitchers. You know, Doug Nikhazy last year and yep. uh, Dylan Delucia this year. And I think uh, I think Delucia kind of reminds me of Tanner Burns. A lot of good postseason. Yeah, that, that postseason run, man. That that postseason run for Delucia um, was huge. And you know, he didn't even start the year in the starting staff. Um, he worked out of the bullpen and initially doing that, and then basically took the ball when it was given to him and ran with the opportunity and really held on to that spot and pitched them to the uh, college baseball world series. Um, and going back to Austin Peterson, I agree with you. Good frame. Um, I like the slider. There's a change up there. He's 90, 92, 93 on occasion, but you, you know, it makes you wonder he's got excellent control already. Can they unlock a, a tick or two on velocity? And that makes him a different pitcher. Uh, I think you see that question, so to speak, with several of the guys that they took in this draft. They definitely leaned into guys that have good command and then took some risk on a few guys that don't don't have that command, but it but but were very athletic, uh, like an Adam Tolick on day three and even going after Jackson Humphreys, whose command kind of backed up on him in round eight. Um, you know, Javier Santos Tejada, another guy that doesn't exactly have the greatest command, but there's a nasty stuff there. Four pitches, fastball up to 98, you know, and slider with high, uh, high spin rates, fastball with high spin rates. Then he has a curveball and changeup that he's working on. Uh, the changeup's relatively new for uh, Santos Tejada. So, you know, I, I've never seen it in particular, but everything, every indication is that he's probably a two pitch pitcher, possibly a reliever, which is an unusual profile for a uh, prep player. But, you know, you, you don't know different circumstances. He's a kid originally from the Dominican Republic that came a little bit older and was drafted as a 19 year old by the guardians, which is one of two 19 year old prep players that they went with this year. Um, Kind of against the model, but I won't, I don't think of him as a typical 19 year old just because of the rawness with what he is, but also the stuff that he has. So I think it's a good gamble. Um, somebody I would have preferred to have gone day three after maybe give a little overslot on day three to get a hold of him. Um, but I see what they were doing there. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's true or not that he trained with Daniel Espinino, Daniel Espino, but, um, you know, I know Daniel Espino does go back to Georgia premier Academy every winter. So good chance that he and uh, Daniel Espino, did cross paths at some point in time. Um, the overall, I thought day two was really interesting. You know, I think you and I talked about Joe Lampy being maybe a light version of Will Brennan, um, more speed, less arm from him. Um, a, a guy that has played shortstop, second base, center field too. You know, now he's a center fielder mostly, but a guy that's been around the diamond is what I'm really getting at and performed well on the Cape when he had his opportunity there. Yeah, I was like, day two was interesting. And I like what you said, too. I think they really balanced this draft quite well. Um, not necessarily in terms of like 
you know, who we think is going to be good or, or whatever like that. But I think balance in terms of it took some strike throwers, you know, it took uh, a Justin mm-hmm. Campbell, a, Bar- a Parker Mezzik with a lot of hoofs, some upside and um, a guy like Talusha and, and Austin Peterson, but also taking some risks, like you said, on, on Santos and Humphreys and Zibin. You know, they, they balanced a lot with their college pitching and went more towards prep arms because they saw something they liked. And um, is there any anybody I you thought was like, I don't know, it's in day three. Um, it's just anybody that was eyebrow raising in day two besides that? Um, you know, I haven't really looked heavily at the board. Um So it's hard for me to say. I, I've really focused on those write-ups, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, there were some guys I think I tweeted out that were there and made sense. Guys like Jacob Zibin, you know, saying that I had him ranked 69. Even Jackson Humphreys, those are two guys that I thought would go much higher. You know, I had Humphreys at 94. I thought he was solid third-round material where I saw Zibin as a, as a second-round arm. Um, you know, I, I kind of think they drafted backwards a little bit. They went after some college bats that they liked because that was the depth of the draft. And then they came back to the prep arms. Um, I felt like prep arms were deep this year, deeper than usual, three rounds deep, you know, and my general rule of thumb is either draft your prep guys in the first two or three rounds or don't draft them at all. Unless it's like a a later flyer pick, uh, like a Ventimiglia last year, Logan Clark this year, he's a flyer pick. Um, you hope to develop him some tools there defensively with him and some pop. Um, I don't have a problem with guys like that later on that, you know, you, you're going to slow down and try to develop them and get something out of them. Not likely, but they're not going to commit a lot of money to either of the two of them anyways. So. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were a couple guys out there. I think on day two, uh, we were talking about, there was, the, um, gosh, I'm not going to remember his name. The shortstop that I think Eric Long and Hagen mentioned from fan Oh yeah, Demetrio Christianos. Yeah, he was out there, and then there was um, Trey Dombrowski, who I thought, you know, we we both thought was had a good chance to go to Cleveland. There were a couple of guys there that fit the profile they didn't go with, so I, I won't say there was anything surprising, but there were definitely guys on the board I think we thought were pretty. I don't want to say slam dunk day two picks, but just like really fit Cleveland's usual mold. I mean, I I don't know if we really saw Delucia or uh, obviously not Santos, and uh, you had Humphreys on the board. Those are guys we weren't 100% sure of. And then uh, – I mean, Peter's out today. How about day three picks? What were your – maybe your two favorite day three picks for them? That, that's rounds um, 11 through 20. So real quick for those listening, Magnus Ellerts, um, right-handed pitcher, Jack Jaziak. From USF, another pitch in the 12th round, Tyrese Turner, shortstop USC in the 13th, uh, Prez Kavanaugh, outfielder from UNC Greensboro in the 14th round, 15th round, Adam Tolak, a lefty from Arizona State, uh, 16th round, catcher Logan Clark from Taft High School, 17th round, Angel Zarate, who's an outfielder from North Carolina, 18th round, they had uh, Rivers, UC Riverside right-hander Zach Jacobs. 19th round was uh, Walter State Community College right-hander uh, Gio Rivera Jr. And the 20th round, another North Carolina player, left-handed pitcher Sean Rapp. So uh, two, of those, two of those guys that stand out most to you? Um, I like Magnus Ellerts. I, I pointed him out to you and Jared as a guy that I didn't think Cleveland would take, which is 
hilarious because of the because of the uh, walk rates with him because his walk rate was around five or just above five when I got digging into his numbers. This is all you know pre-draft. Um, so I didn't think that they would take him, but I do like the profile with him. I, I think it's probably a power reliever there. Um, Jack Jaziak missed a lot of the season. He's another strike thrower, low 90s, can get it up to 94. Nothing sexy with the profile, but I think he has the potential to be a very good pick for them, maybe a sneaky good pick. Tyrese Turner is uh, somebody I think that, uh, you know, they could probably move pretty quick through the system, a guy with really good speed. His problem is he's a center fielder, left fielder, second baseman. Um, in this draft class, brought in a lot of center field talent, and they already had middle infield talent, so I don't know where time is going to come for him. Um, initially listed and drafted as a shortstop, but he does not have the arm. If I remember correctly, several years ago, he had an arm injury, a labrum injury, and just never returned to that. Had all of four games at shortstop in college. They announced him as a shortstop, but he's not going to be a shortstop in the pros. Um, but excellent, excellent uh, ball control skills. Um, or bat control skills, I guess I should say. Um, I really like Adam Tolick. I think he could be a sleeper if they can harness him. A guy that was up to 96, according to Barnsby, everything I saw was 92, 94, up to 95. But Barnsby mentioned him up to 96. So, you know, that that may be from his K performance. But he was really good on the K last year. A lot of these guys were K performers, you know, that they did really well. Ellers was... Furman was um, Chase DeLauder pitched on on the Cape. Um, OG was Magnus Ellerts pitched on the Cape this year. Press Cavanaugh pitched on the Cape. Um, Zach Gio Ramirez, you said, was um, MLB Draft League. Yep, and, and Sean Rapp pitched on the Cape too. So a lot of guys that have had that additional um, those additional views for the organization. I think that made them comfortable. Uh, taking a risk on them, so to speak. Also, you know, there's several guys here that attended the um, the, the MLB, almost at the NFL, the MLB um, combine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not that good. Maybe they're, maybe they're that good athletes that can go to the NFL combine. Who knows? I mean, Cleveland does like athletes as well, so you never know. Um, I, you're talking about Tyrese Turner real quick, and I, now I'm thinking that sounds a lot like Richie Palacios, you know, that uh, zone control and, and um, doesn't really have the arm for short, but can play second or left field. That sounds a lot like Richie Palacios in a way now uh, that you, you put it like that. Um, yeah. Um, I think Palacios probably has a better arm than him. If that tells you what kind of arm oh, wow. Tyrese Turner has. Uh, I love the athleticism there. He's a little bit older. I initially had him on my uh, list of guardians type players and I dropped him. Went through and I paired off a few players I felt like were too old or um, maybe stretching the demographic and dropped him off. And, of course, they drafted him. Um, but, <laughs> hey. I think you still got, what, 11 or 12 this year? Oh, 11 of 21 this year. I tied last year. Um, yeah. my, goal was, my goal was 12 this year. So now I'll have to come back next year trying to get 12 or more. Um, yeah, maybe maybe just don't delete some of those guys because clearly this year says you know eight maybe I don't want to say age isn't a factor. Maybe they were a little more loose on age, and it's hard to predict on how they were going to go with guys like Santos. Like you said before, Santos, like yeah, he's nineteen, but he's not a typical nineteen year old because of his inexperience. So that makes a lot of sense where he he went there because there's so much untapped potential there, and 
they took a risk on on Humphreys kind of, you know, believing that what he did before late in the season where things kind of backed up was, was still real and Ellert's the same thing, you know, and even, even Adam Tolock, like even guys that I think he went to three different colleges. He went to, I forget where he went initially, but he's Virginia last year. And you pointed out that the Dodgers selected him last year and he didn't sign. And the Dodgers, you know, are, are an incredible development system. So they, yeah, yeah they're really good. Like at what they saw uh, from him. They're really good at it. And he's, and he's really not a he, – he didn't have a ton of – he didn't have great control in Arizona this year. The stuff was okay, but he didn't have great control. But like you said, another one of their traits too is that, okay, he was a great performer on the Cape. The control on the Cape was really good. And they're willing to overlook maybe a bad draft year and look at a past year and and believe and if they believe that um, that's closer to their true abilities, you know, they can overlook a, a, bad, a bad draft year and go for something like that. And I think he fits that. And just that he has bounced around so much, like you said, 96. I think the arm angle is interesting. Um, of course, you know, I really liked Angel Zarate. Zarate was another guy I know you said was a tad old for the class, so he was not really uh, uh, a traditional fit. Um, great defensive plays. I mean, you can go on Twitter and you can find just endless defensive uh Great plays for uh, Zarate all season. All three spots left. He can definitely play defense, and, and I know he walks more and he strikes out. And I'm super interested in, in a guy like Rap Slider. And uh, curious what they do with Gio Rivera. Gio Rivera had an Oregon State commit this year. I guess I'm sure he's going to sign Cleveland because I'm, I'm sure they didn't. Um, drafting, but I didn't think we we're going to sign, but uh, Oregon State liked him enough to give him a, a, a spot on their team next year, and Oregon State's been a great program the last couple of seasons, so um, I'm interested to see what the upside is for Rivera, too. Yeah, I like uh, I like Rivera. He's an interesting arm. Um, lots of power there. Has a high spin fastball and slider. Also has a, a curveball and a changeup. I've been told that his curveball is really good too, but I've never seen it, so I can't speak to it. Don't don't have any quantifiable numbers to put in on that. Um, but he was used out of the bullpen at Old Dominion, transferred from Old Dominion to Walters State uh, Community College down in Tennessee, and started five games, including a complete game um, in which he struck out 16 batters, you know. So I, I think there is potential for a starter here, but you know, I think the command's probably 50, um, which would pass as a starter. Definitely, you know, with four pitches, he's young enough to develop as a starter, but I suspect that he might be a power reliever and somebody that they would consider moving relatively quickly that direction. Um, you know, even the guys that they got this year that are older or don't quite fit the demographic, there are things about them, like all of the guys that are already 22 years old, are barely 22 years old. Uh, Zerate, Zerate turned 23 during the draft. Um, there was another Humphreys turned 18 the day after the draft. You know, um, Rap just turned 22. Tullock just turned 22. So they're young for that age demographic, if you will. Um, Santos is another one. He's young for for 19. 
Ann Clark was a young 19 year old. Uh, while it's a little bit older, they're still on the young side of that age demographic. Um, I, I think day three was really interesting. I only had two of the 10 picks on my list. Uh, that's where I really lost. <laughs> I lost team, so to speak. Um, I think my favorite player from day three may be Adam Tolick. Um, I really like Gio Rivera too. Interested in um, Zach Jacobs. I, I like the small athletic frame that he has. I know he's 88 up to 90, 91, but I mean, he's 6'1", 170. It's a low arm slot, but I, I suspect if he gets stronger, there's a little bit more there and he has excellent control. His walk rates were sub two. Um, I mean, that's 60 command to me. Um, you mentioned Sean Rapp's slider, something to, to really like. Zarate, excellent defender, can play all three outfield spots, probably a fourth, fifth outfield type. Um, On-base guy that can hit just the bat-to-ball skills with all of the hitters. I don't think that they really reached on any of the hitters as far as bat-to-ball skills go, minus maybe Logan Clark, who's not going to be a big bat-to-ball guy, but um, – you have to draft catchers to have catchers in your organization, or you have to, you, you have to bring some into the organization some way, you know, so you might have to bend a little on some guys that are going to rack up some K's and, and play solid defense for you. Yeah. I know some people are like, Oh, they didn't draft a catcher. Do they really like Bo Naylor or why, why aren't they drafting more catchers? And I, I don't know. I, I'd have to go back to see who was available. I mean, there was, Two guys, obviously, we discussed was Brady Neal and Ike Irish, who are both one undrafted, so they're gonna they're gonna go to college. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They're just you know there Logan were a couple Tanner. guys like Logan Tanner yeah. in round two, uh, one pick after Parker Messick. I can see taking Parker Messick over Logan Tanner. As much as I liked Logan Tanner, um, I think the I think they made the right pick with Messick. Yeah, I will say, <clears throat> I, Messick was not. He obviously didn't have Tommy John. That's the that's the one thing too. We should probably point out is uh, no Tommy John arms this year. Usually every year they pop one guy who has had arm surgery and they they had re, to yeah. Rehab and, I, I think other teams were more willing to go with Tommy John arms. Um, in fact, the Padres drafted two of them. Well, there were so many. You yes. Had to. <laughs> yeah, and but, and I think teams were looking for value, and I think just Cleveland just happened to miss out. But Jack Jasic and um, Jack Jacobs, both, yeah, both of those guys had shoulder injuries and missed some time. So I don't know if it was Labrum or if it was uh, Therese Major or, or what it was with those two, but both of those guys missed time with shoulder injuries. So they did get two pitchers that were injured, just not a Tommy John arm this year. Yeah, I, I thought for sure. And the one guy I was really okay with was Hunter Barco. That was the guy I was kind of hoping for in yep. one of those uh, third-round picks and obviously uh, did not go that route. But Messick's fine. He was healthy, um, and they did take risks on JCAC and um, Jacobs, as you said. So, But those guys are healthy now, supposedly, so that's good. And um, obviously, DeLauder missed part of time, too, this year with an injury, but nothing serious. It was just a foot injury. So mostly healthy class this year, and, and – uh, yeah, day three, there were some, definitely some more risks there. Like you said, they bent a little bit on Logan Clark. Obviously, they like the catch and throw there. Um, you know, it, I, I looked at his Twitter, and the guy, if you if you base it off his uh, social media accounts, the guy is always at a baseball training facility somewhere. The guy does put a lot of work in. Uh, at least he's always posting about it. So at least we know he's there. He's working out a lot. So I know Barnsby did say they like the work ethic and they like the, the character there. So. Um, that's something they especially value in catchers is the ability to put in the work and 
the character working with the pitcher. So obviously that made a difference for them there. And they signed uh, Mark Falia out of uh, what was at UC San Diego was their only undrafted free agent so far. Um, I know you mentioned he's the brother of two former major leaguers or two former pro baseball players. So um, not a shock there. Not, not, and he's also not a bat to ball guy either. He's uh, had some power and, but obviously they signed him for his defense as well. So, yeah, and I, I think just looking at his video, it looks like sub two times that he's putting up. Um, he played catcher in high school, played quarterback on the football team. Um, so athlete. There's athleticism. I think they're betting on that. Uh, 21-year-old with a good frame, too. Um, you know, I, I think they're going with the raw tools with him and bloodlines and athleticism and want to see what they can develop. But, yeah, there's definitely power there. Um, but also – He's got that Brandon Geyer thing going on oh, where yeah, yeah. he's hit a lot. <laughs> 15 hit by pitches his his uh, junior year or this, this season. So you know, uh, his uh, teammate that started at catcher, Emiliano Gonzalez, was all, um, all Big West as a freshman. So I think we know why. He wasn't the yeah. everyday catcher. Get get his bat in the lineup, and you know you got a young player on that team that's an excellent catcher too. So yeah, we'll see if they go get any upside out of that. But you know, not like uh, what they they've signed a couple catchers over the last couple of years. You had yep. uh, what Zach Fascia last year, and and uh, Joe Donovan. I'm trying to think of the other one too. Seth who's in the Goodell. System. Seth Goodell. Yeah. So those guys have been all around as catching depth. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens there. I mean, they have catchers in the system. They obviously have Naylor and Labastida, but um, I don't know. I kind of wonder if they are interested interested in what guys like Richard Paz can do and Victor Planchard and Robert Lopez and Victor Asturias. They did sign a couple catchers out of the Dominican, so um, you know there is some depth there, I guess, at least in terms of uh, who they want to go with. But maybe they'll maybe they'll acquire some upper level catching, you know, double A catching in a trade this. Uh, either sometime this trade deadline or this offseason, we'll see that those, how they supplement that way. And obviously they weren't going to reach for a catcher just to have one. They wanted to make sure they were <clears throat> using the pick wisely. And obviously at the point where they got to Brady Neal and guys like that, they weren't going to pay the money to get them out of school considering how far, where they were at in the draft. I mean, I guess you could have gone for like, you know, what a Cade Hunter or, I don't know if that was really a fit for them anyway, but I guess there were, there were, there are ways you could go, but not worth reaching for. And um, I don't know. They took a guy they liked out there, and they'll and they'll supplement with free agents. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, um, I think they kind of stayed within themselves, so to speak, within the first ten rounds. Um, all those guys kind of fit the demographic, minus uh, Santos Tejada. I think he was more of a, a risk play there. Um, Humphreys was really good um, most of the season and kind of faded to the end, and that could have been from fatigue. So I'm not going to really weigh that too heavily with with Humphreys. I know he was impressive um, last year, pitching them to the state championship as a junior, and then also, you know, going into the 60. Um, oh, gee whiz, I can't remember the name of the event for uh, Prep Baseball Report, but he he impressed there. I think that's where a lot of scouts really took notice. I know Kylie McDaniel, in fact, tweeted about him. Um, at one point in time too. So i uh, very excited to get those two prep arms. Uh, you know, like I said, Santos Tejada is probably the risk on the first day, day three, all of that. Um, 
all of that felt a little bit different. Yes, they stuck with profile with hitters and, and pitchers, but there were a few more risks on day three. Um, I think that's exactly how you should probably run a draft, though. You know, you if you're going to take a risk, do it with the, the picks where there's probably uh, less of a return anyways. Mm-hmm. So why not go for a little bit more ceiling? All right. Well, speaking of that, <clears throat> um, I don't know. Could we agree that we agree that maybe a pick with the most upside is Chase the Lauder, considering there is a star level talent in there? Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. And I don't know. Would you also consider him the pick with the most risk as well? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's not a, a ton of downside there, but I don't know. What he, if, he, if he has the most upside, does he also have the most risk in this draft? I think he has a solid floor. You know, if he's Tyler Naquin, you, you're not happy that he's Tyler Naquin, but he's still a major league outfielder. Um, I think biggest risk is paying a million dollars, a million plus to Jacob Zibben when you, when you could have spent that on a, on a college arm, you know, taking three prep arms on day, day one and two, I guess I should say it kind of blurs together, but um, spending that million plus on Zibben, uh, Humphreys is probably going to get between 500 to 750 K. I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything specific, so I'm just guesstimating. Um, I, I think that was risky going for three prep arms on day two. Uh, I like the play of going after a prep arm or two. Um, three seems a little excessive to me, but you know, I, I think it was about relationship with the that they were probably already familiar with him um, via Daniel Espino and also a good risk. Um, Huge upside for him, um, but you know it's still a still a risky pick there. I, I think overall the riskiest pick on day one and two is Jacob Zibben. I don't I don't really consider day three picks very risky. Um, True, they're going to sign all of these guys, or th- they're expected to sign all of these guys. So I I think spending a million over a million dollars on a on a kid in ten round ten and going well over going well over slot, a million dollars over slot to get him. That's a pretty big risk. I don't think, I don't think it was the last, well, maybe he was the last guy. I can remember them taking the 10th round, giving a million dollars to, you'll be familiar with this name was uh catcher, Alex Levisky. He was a 10th round pick and they gave him a million dollars to not go to college at Georgia tech. And um, heck of a player just man, struck out a lot and, and never, I don't think he ever got past double a, um, but that tells you right there the risk of signing someone to a million dollars in the 10th round and yep. buying them out of college. Um, well, you know, I already hit on it, but Zivin is also 17 and a half years old. So there's, true. there's that. And, you know, pre-show I talked about a friend of mine that was a potential draft pick that ended up out of school before his senior year was even over with and didn't even get drafted and was a potential top, top two round arm. So. Yeah. So definitely the money factors in there for sure. Um, I would also say Humphreys carries some risk too. I mean, you're banking on the yeah. fact that what he was until the end of the season, you know, before the end of the season where things kind of backed up, you're banking on um, him kind of reverting to form there. And he's a, a another young kid uh, out of high school too. And, and still well, it's from did, a good area. Yeah. They did have a good, um, a good view of him before the draft because he attended the combine. Um, yeah. Zibin attended the combine. Peterson attended the combine. Chase DeLauder all attended the combine. So I'm guessing, and this is purely a guess, but I, I suspect Cleveland may have drafted some players that didn't attend the combine. 
they were comfortable with the physicals on them and were willing to, um, you know, willing to, to pay a little bit more, pay that excess to get a player that they liked uh, later on, get value really. Cause they, if you're going to top two round talent in round 10, I think that's an ec- excellent job as long as he pans out. How about, I don't know. I guess we probably already, I, I maybe it's Adam Tullock. Maybe it's Zibin. You did say Zibin's a risk. Is there any sleep uh, sleeper in this class you like the most? Um, a lot. I think there's a lot of them. Yeah, I, I think Press really. Kavanaugh has a good chance of being a good backup outfielder. Same thing with Angel Zarate. Um, a guy that won't won't surprise me with, if he does well is Gio Rivera, a big frame guy that I think they can maximize and get more out of. I think day three, though, I would really focus on Jack Jasiak or Adam Tolog. I think Tolk has a good chance of being a left-handed reliever. They may not push him there, but, you know, as you mentioned, and Mandy Bell had a, a piece out on him. I'm not sure if that was out today or when it came out, but he went to seven different schools, mm-hmm. um, always looking for a fit and not really quite finding it, so to speak. Um, decided to bet on himself and got drafted two rounds higher. And, you know, last year it was the Dodgers. This year it's Cleveland. All indications are he's going to be signing. I don't think uh, I don't think Mandy does that piece on him, unless he was signing. Um, but he seemed very positive and excited about getting his pro career um, started in, in that piece. And uh, some risk there, some risk there. But I think the the reward could be a left-handed reliever. Yeah, I like that pick as well. I think that's a good sleeper pick. I wouldn't. The way you're talking about Angel Zarate before makes me think of Will Brennan. I I, I want every hitter to every outfielder they take to end up like Will Brennan. So, um, yeah. And I think Angel Zarate will be a fast moving um, player too. I know he's already 23, kind of a short track record for a 23 year old because he redshirted his freshman year and then got to play minimally his, his freshman year and then COVID. So he essentially played like 15 games in three years. Um, Not even his fault, you know, Um, but these last two years he's hit well. He's got on base, took walks, showed a little bit of power. He's an excellent defender. Um, I know some people say he's probably a center fielder, left fielder in the pros. I, I think there's enough in him to, to let him play some right field too. And you mentioned Rivera too. I just I came across this tweet. Someone had tweeted us at the account saying, talked about to the <clears throat> the Frederick Keys in the, in the um, MLB Draft League talking about the um, – the spin rate there. He was one of the best guys spin rate wise in, in the MLB draft league, uh, over 3000 RPM on the curveball, And I guess that was it. So top one of the top breaking balls, uh, in the spin rate in the MLB draft league. So there's some interesting there. I also put down the safest pick in the draft. I don't know. I, I feel like this is a weird, a weird category, but if I had to pick safe, I would probably say Nate Furman. Um, if I had to go with the safest pick, it would be between Justin Campbell and Parker Messick. Uh, I think you at least get a left-handed reliever out of Messick. He's got some deception with that low arm slot, four-point command. Probably the safest arm, if you can call an arm safe. Um, yeah, I like Furman a lot. I could see why you would say him. Yeah, I think. Well, I think just the bat-to-ball skills and the speed just give him a really good you know easy upside so very yeah. easy and and young um, make it. not even 21 yet he was a sophomore eligible which kind of broke cleveland's previous trends because i couldn't remember the last soft eligible that they've drafted and then guy lipscomb the center fielder 
um, from Belmont. He was a, a guy with uh, really good speed, great bat to ball skills. Um, you know, he may end up playing all three outfield spots. We'll see. But I, I, I think Parker Messick might be the safest pick of the draft. Yeah, I figured you're going to say that. I was trying to go maybe someone who wasn't a pitcher and then, you know, anything can happen with pitchers too. So, but I can agree with that. I think he'll move pretty quickly. Um, we'll have a new set of rankings coming out. I think if we agreed on the rankings, Willie, was there, is there anything left to debate? Have we, if we decided on a good spot or do you think that we need to tweak it still? No, I, I think, I mean, I'll look over the bottom half again this evening, but I think we've, Definitely ironed out the top half. Um, it's a deep one. I, I'm not cutting. I'm not cutting it off just because we already had finished a ranking before the draft because we wanted to have one done, so we didn't have to change anything. We just slotted in the picks where we thought they should go. So, as of right now, Willie, unless unless you want to really change anything big, we have 68 players ranked this time around. And I'm not sure how many players we added from the draft. I, I think it's between eight and ten. Um, yeah, that's, so that's a lot of talent to add to the system. Yeah, I'll, I'll just read it down here real quick. Chase Talauder, we decided on at 10, just above Will Brennan. Um, I know you really pushed to have him as a 50. And, I mean, he could be a 50 right there. He's right below Gabriel Arias, who we considered <clears throat> Arias maybe dropping down to a 45 because of the bat, but we didn't want to have a – Too soon. Yeah, too much of a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, look, Bo Naylor had a terrible 20-21 hitting, and uh, we were like, hey, let's let's wait a year. The defense is still good. He's still young. Same with Gabriel Arias. He's still young. The defense is still there, and let's not have a knee-jerk reaction here. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe you can really – we can debate it one more time, whether we give DeLauder a 45 or a 50. Um, I know you're you're fighting for the higher upside there. I'm just a little bit nervous about the risk. Um, so, he's currently – right now we have him 10th, right above Will Brennan and right below Gabriel Arias. Um, Justin Campbell, 18, we gave him a 45 as well. I can easily see that being bumped to a 50 um, by next year. Uh, Parker Mezik, we slotted at 25, right between Cody Morris and Will Bre- uh, Will Benson, I should say. Will Benson made a big jump um, in our rankings, deservedly so. Joe Lampy at 28, so that's four right there. Um, a 45 overall right behind Petey Halpin and right be- uh, above Nick Mikulacek. A little bit further down, um, I did have Jacob Zibin at, at 43. Um, I know that's kind of low considering where, you know, based on where you had him ranked in this year's draft, but, you know, like you said, there's a lot of risk there in the 10th round and kind of hard for me to slot where Humphreys and Peterson were. I had Humphreys 46 and Peterson 47, um, both 40s overall. I think I had Humphreys above Peterson just because of the upside, but I don't know, Peterson's a little bit safer, but figured that in, in those spots that low in the rankings, you go with the upside over the the safe pick. But I like Peterson a lot. And then, yeah, Dylan DeLucia at 54. So uh, one, two, three, four, uh, five, it six, seven, what eight you think guys. DeLucia is, you know, I, I could argue to have DeLucia higher than Peterson. Um, mm. I had, I had Peterson in that five to seven range. And I think I had DeLucia in the five to seven range too. Um, mostly because I thought Peterson would go higher than what he did. But as a senior sign uh, and a guy that went to the combine, um, smart play on his pet behalf, by the way, it guaranteed him some money instead of some team trying to offer him 50,000 or something like that. He may have made himself some money by doing that. 
Um, so I like Cleveland taking him in round nine and they'll probably 75% him with the 160 and save 40,000 on him. Um, I, I think that he could, you know, any of those three, I, I'm higher on Humphreys. Um, Peterson has a longer track record than Delusia. Delusia has that one year wonder. Um, I, I think he's going to be fine, but you know, you can always say he's just a, a one year wonder at this point because he pitched two seasons at Northwest Florida state, you know, so uh, not a long track record there, but he's performed when he's gotten the opportunity. So. Yeah. I think the Lucia where I ended up putting him was just, it was uh, between right behind Davis sharp and Isaiah green. I think the relief risk is where I had him there, but you could also argue that Peterson has some relief risk too, because he's yeah. a, a bigger guy. And I think the, uh, the arm swing is kind of long. The mechanics are a little bit long, but he throws a lot of strikes and he has the track record. So I, uh, and, and Peterson's right above Will Dion because, uh, Dion's having a great year, but he's also old for the Carolina league. And, um, yeah, I think know, tops out like 90. I think the thing with Delucia is, you know, you have uh, a sinker, four seamer, a nice slider, and then a curveball that's underdeveloped. I'm sorry, not a curveball, but a changeup that's underdeveloped. Uh, but there's still excellent control with him. Um, so you got a four pitch mix with him. I'm not sure Austin Peterson has that four pitch mix, but he does have that frame where if they clean up the delivery a little bit, you could see him potentially hitting 94 on a regular basis. You know, we've said that before with Mason Hickman thinking Cleveland's the right organization to maximize velocity for him, and it just never turned around. Um, Delucia is a competitor, bulldog on the mound, and up to 95, you know, so he does have some quality traits there that would transition well to the bullpen, but I won't pin arm him just yet. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. he's – He's not like Peterson. Peterson's almost 23 years old, and I'm not trying to talk down Peterson because I think he has a good chance of being a good pro arm. I just think his upside's already more limited than Delucia, who's a year younger than him. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that for sure, the upside. And that's why I had Jackson Humphreys above Austin Peterson, but I guess you can kind of throw Delucia and Humphreys in the same bucket. But um, Humphreys is, is also a risk, but I, I think offers more upside than both Delucia and Peterson. That's why I had him above him. And then Zibin, the same thing, you know, more risk, but also plenty of reward for Zibin. So, yeah, I, I, I uh, <clears throat> consider Zibin a second round arm, a second round arm. You typically see second rounders fall into that 20 range, 20 to 30 range into rankings. Um, if you go look at other teams, I think Cleveland has that sort of depth that, Zibin probably belongs right around 40, 40-ish. So if he's at 43, I think that's a good ranking for him. Um, you know, uh, Campbell, I feel like, needs to be a few slots higher. But, you know, that's that's splitting hairs over over it. What's the point? Uh, Messick, I think, is right in the right range. He's a solid second-round arm. I think there's plenty of upside there with him. Similarly ranked to Doug Nikhazy when Nikhazy came into the organization last year. So I, I think, you know, if you look at things the way I do, um, your first pick, first round, probably going to be a top 10. Your comp round is going to be a top 15. Your second round, top 20. Your third round should be in the 30 range. Your fourth round should be in the 40 range. You know, if you range them like that and kind of look at mm-hmm. it like that, um, does that mean Zibin's a, a 10th being the 100th ranked player? No, because I think he – he was much higher um, for me personally, you know, so 
just kind of my way of looking at how, how do we rank guys? Where do they usually slot in rankings to? Um, and I feel though that's pretty comparable to the talent already in their organization uh, where they're slotted in right now. I do think, uh, I, th I do think dilution needs to be a little bit higher and everybody is getting a little bit of a um, look inside how you and I talk through some of these rankings. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we should definitely, I think, I think the plan that it is to do that more often too, because I think these lead to a lot of interesting discussions, but um, yeah, it, it's a deep organization. So it's super hard to, yep. you know, maybe they don't, <clears throat> there's not a ton of like, you know, star players in the organization. We got We have a couple 55s here. You know, we have Valera and Espino and Williams and Naylor all 55. And I think we debated on Rokio being a 55 and um, Freeman last year was 55 for us before the surgery. And, you know, he's been playing well lately. There's a lot of guys you can make, you know, arguments to bump and, and Delauder certainly, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I, you mentioned ha it's worth a 50. I, I just, I think there's some risk there, but. Um, it's yeah, just so and deep and it's hard to, to really think, slot everybody in. I think our big hang up there with giving him a 50 is, is he really that much better than Will Brennan, what Will Brennan represents? Yes, he should be ranked higher because of the upside. Um, I think Brennan could arguably be a 50 and I think DeLauder could arguably, arguably be a 50. Um, I'm okay playing it safe because he doesn't quite have the track record of a three-year college player. Um, Having and Brennan's that, performing would, the pros already. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and Brennan's in AAA, so Brennan. Normally, my path is is safer guy towards the higher rankings, the guy that's ranked higher, so to speak. Um, Bo Naylor, for example, you know he got the nod over Brian Rocchio because Bo Naylor's performing at a higher level, literally at a higher level. Um, he's in AAA, and he's in a more important position too. Yeah. Yeah, a similarly important position to shortstop him playing catcher and performing as well as he is in AAA. I, I think you give the nod to Naylor over Rocchio in that case. For me, DeLauder, that 55 potential upside, let's hope he becomes a 60 one day and we both look like idiots for saying he's a 45. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with that because I don't know these guys as well as you do, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining or not proclaiming. I'm not, I'm not going to even try to be the expert you are on these guys, but yeah, that yeah, would be I, I a great problem to have. I think we're taking the conservative path and we're also kind of honoring the depth, so to speak, of the organization because there's a lot of talent there. We did debate on dropping Arias a little bit. I don't think it's right to drop Arias too too soon. We didn't drop a lot of players. We didn't drop Naylor. We haven't really dropped Rocchio from his season, early season scuffles, and now he seems to be rebounding. Um, Arias is, seems to it's just been an odd year for him, you know, um, having that injury and then getting hit and yeah, you know he right. missed a couple of months <laughs> and he was up for two games and he was back in AAA. Just been a really odd season for him. So I could see where his pet, head is probably spinning a little bit. Um, yeah. There was potential that he was going to make the major league roster from opening day. That didn't happen, thankfully, you know. So. Um, <laughs> I would say the only the only guys we really dropped were due to injury, and and we didn't even drop Espino, and he's been out since April, so we haven't moved him. There's a couple guys that you know that that dropped I, due to injury, yeah, but not not him. We decided to sit on Espino, and I mean we know what he is, potential number one for for the organization. Definitely concerned with them with the shoulder barking at him the second time. You know, this being the second time that the shoulder is barking at him. 
because he didn't pitch an instructs last year, if you remember that. Uh, there right. was word that he would, and then he sat out because of shoulder inflammation. Uh, could be nothing, could be something. Um, just could be natural wear and tear. I suspected that it's from the ramp up, you know, that he was off because of the knee and then ramping back up and then, you know. Right. that's hard bites. to do. Yeah, yeah. And, and last time the season was over and then he's going out and ramping up again. So gets inflammation and, and is out and in instructs. But he did pitch in instructs and they're saying he is expected back, I think, in the next few weeks um, from my understanding. So we shall yeah. see. I think sitting on an Espino, though, was the right call there. Um, he would have clearly been 1-1 to me had he been healthy, though. Yeah, if he, if he had stayed on the path he was going, for sure, I would have flipped him over Valera in the second half. I'm, I'm not a big fan. I mean, obviously, the hat, the draft makes you reconsider things, and then we might even have to reconfigure the trade deadline. We're already an hour, and then we need to get to talk about the trade deadline. So um, I'm assuming we'll get there next time. But we'll have to reconfigure then, probably, and – um, so that's kind of how the sauce is made with this. And then we'll do that again over the off season. Cause I like having this discussion and looking at things differently. And uh, I feel like we might need another point of view because we lost Joe this year. Who's uh, just been a little bit busy with uh, working a different job. So we don't have Joe to rely on to, to give us a different plane of thought and um, also give us some thoughts on guys that are in Arizona as well. And a good um, sense Yes, the jokes, the puns. We do miss Joe for that. He was he tw someone tweeted him the other day asking about Joey Cantel, and he had mentioned he is uh, out of the business right now. So we do miss Joe um, for a lot of reasons. Since I always good for a uh, a fun headline and um, a great pun. So uh, let's let's run through the minor league stuff as quick as we can because I know we've already gone over an hour. Um, Cody Morris has made three rehab starts so far in Arizona. He's up to three innings. He's looked pretty good. The stats say he looks good. I guess we don't know if he looks good. Um, the stats say he looks good, which he should. He did last year when he rehabbed. So I wouldn't be surprised if his next outing is in Columbus because they need the arms because uh, it, would, it would appear that Kirk McCarty is going to be on the Cleveland roster tomorrow following Brian Shaw, who might be an opener tomorrow. If you haven't heard that, uh, I'll let you uh, – Collect your thoughts on that. If Brian Shaw doesn't pitch Monday night against Boston, he might pitch as an opener Tuesday. Um, so Columbus is going to need the arms. So I wouldn't be surprised if Cody Morris is in Columbus for his uh, fourth outing of the season. Um, I got to watch Ryan Webb yesterday. I was really impressed. Um, great. Sh the changeup looked really good. A lot of fade. was getting a lot of things over the top. Curveball looked good. The fastball was around 90 to 95. So that was good to see. Um I'm very intrigued by him. I want to see him at Lake County before the end of the year, but who knows with the way they have arms right now. <clears throat> John Kenzie, Noel, a couple home runs coming off the uh, the break. Looked pretty good. Um, still a lot of swing and miss there. Someone someone was bringing up him today, and I, I said, um, my only concern with Noel, obviously the strikeouts are an issue, but he's on the 40 already, and um, you're burning an option this year. You're likely going to burn the option next year. We talked about this before, but – um, you might get to his pro debut and he has one option year left. So that's uh, always a concern. And I wanted to get into a bigger debate about this. We don't have time, so maybe next week. But um, a lot of people have been upset that Peyton Battenfield hasn't gotten the call to be the, the extra starter. You know, if uh, if uh, Connor Pilkington has to slot in the Aaron Savali spot, why isn't, why isn't Battenfield the sixth starter? Um you know, it, it's an issue with forty the forty man roster, right? I mean, you can't have 
you cannot have uh, spots on your 40 man roster. You can't DFA and turn over to add, you know, different parts and players. That's, that's really the biggest issue right there. I know everyone's like, well, DFA this guy or DFA that guy and just put, you know, Bo Naylor on the roster and put Peyton Battlefield on the roster. Well, then you can't DFA those guys and then you have no room to work with. So that always plays into roster discussions. I know it's not ideal to have Kirk McCarty pitching against Boston tomorrow, but, um, you know, every team kind does of, it, Yeah, there's, there's, it's a bigger picture thing. You know, I think people don't realize there's a big picture to this and, um, yeah, short term it stinks, but big picture, you know, it's one of those things you unfortunately have to deal with. Not nothing against Kirk McCarty, obviously, personally. And and then I think it's a vote of confidence in McCarty too, because they obviously trust him enough to go out there and log a few innings. They know he might give up a run or two. He's not, you know, he's not an ace, or he wouldn't be in the position that he's in. But um, you know, I think there's that that the organization does like him to fulfill the role that he's in. And that's kind of in a swing role, unfortunately for him. But uh, you know, there is value with him. That's why you've seen him get picked off of waivers from Baltimore, and then Cleveland taking right. him back, and then you know, even like Ian uh, Jabolt, who went to Cincinnati. Some of the arms that they have designated for assignment have ended up picked up. So you know, there's it's something there. Yeah, there's there's some arm talent there, and every team is looking for talent. So you can't just <clears throat> turn around and designate you know for assignment players left and right, or you're going to end up losing a lot of your depth. And right. Frankly, you know, Tobias Myers didn't work out for them. They ended up trading him to the giants. That was a, an arm that they were counting on being there in triple a. I think that was part of the reason that they were willing to make that deal because he was so, so close and providing depth in, in a position that they needed. And, you know, Hey, they lost that arm. Essentially you have Carlos Vargas, who's returning from Tommy John surgery only in Akron still, you know, um, spot, yeah. 40 man spots. Uh, that's why they're trying to be careful with bat and field. He can be added in the off season. He can be added in a trade uh, a lot of different ways, but um, you know, is bat and field going to offer more than McCarty? The answer probably is no. And that's probably what they're looking at from it. You know um, you're not going to get a significant upgrade between bat and field and McCarty. And, and I think that's the line of thinking. I think there's more upside in bat and field than Bacardi. I, I I really think it has more. I mean, you could be right, especially when you're talking about making your major league debut versus Bacardi, who I don't know has been around a little bit longer. But um, I think it just has to do with the fact they need these 40 man spots. They need to have some flexibility on the 40, and they just don't have a lot anywhere. And uh, McCarty's spot is like one of the last ones they have to work with right now. And I think you'll, maybe you'll have a chance to see Battenfield after the after the train deadline. So I don't know, but yeah, and, and it does all play into this. To clarify what I'm saying, there is you're probably going to get three, four, maybe five innings out of him. Probably going to give up a couple of runs. It's an unknown, and you know what McCarty is. You're right. going to go with what you know rather than an unknown. You know, we haven't seen Peyton Battenfield respond to the major league level. Velo is down a little bit this year. If he was pumping 94, 95 every start, they might consider you know, going with him and, and just giving him a run. But, you know, for now, I think they're just holding off, biding time, so to speak. He, I do think he ends up getting a shot sometime this year, and it might be after they potentially trade someone, Zach Plesak or somebody like that. Yeah, hopefully that happened. Not not just, you know, Plesak, but to make some trades, just consolidate some of their depth. Um, Adrian Martinez is on the eye with the shoulder issue. That's unfortunate. He was out with what the captain's called general fatigue the coaching staff called a week ago and now he's on the eye of the shoulder issue. So take that for what it's worth. Ethan Hankins still out. 
um, was supposed to pitch in a rehab start uh, in Arizona a couple weeks ago. He's got to make an appearance, uh, supposedly not related to arm injury. Uh, Joey Cantillo, this is one to watch out for. Joey Cantillo so far has not uh, pitched since June 29th, and he is not, as of now, scheduled to be in the first uh, at first four days of Akron's next series against Harrisburg. So right now, um, four of their pitchers are you know somewhat known at this point. He is not one of them. So um, if Joey Cantillo does not pitch this week for Akron, uh, that would be his, uh, I want to say his fourth miss. I mean, I guess third because you count the break, but um, he hasn't pitched yet in the month of July. So I think there's definitely reason to be concerned at this point um, if he doesn't pitch this weekend for Akron. So that's unfortunate because he was pitching his tail off before then. Um, <clears throat> Oscar Gonzalez is rehabbing with Akron this week. So we'll see how he fits in back in the major league team and and triple A because you know George Valera was supposed to go to triple A and then I don't think they count him on Oscar Mercado clearing waiver so they don't have a spot for him in triple A and Nolan Jones is still up and I don't know how that's all going to work out honestly and then um, there have been no domestic minor league all star games in two years because of COVID and I don't know why they didn't do it this year I guess they were still concerned but um, in the DSL they didn't have an all star game and and Jason Chorio who's the brother of Jackson Chorio who's having a Fantastic season for the Brewers minor league system. He was in the all-star game. Jose Cedeno and Austin Aldino also made it. So a couple of uh, standouts in the DSL. And then Willie, no all-star game in the Carolina league, but the broadcasters decided to get together and vote on an all-star team just to, you know, have them. And Jake Fox, Will Dion, Jorge Burgos, Jack Leftwich, uh, Victor Planchard, and Elvis Jerez all represented the Hillcats. So uh, broadcasters around the Carolina league think very highly of that Hillcats roster, especially no surprise with Fox, Dion, and Leftwich. Uh, Burgos has had an okay year, and Planchard and Jerez have been okay, but definitely well represented there. Absolutely. That's a lot of players in the Carolina League, and it's a very young league, and all of those players, minus Jack Leftwich, are pretty young players too. Uh, and Leftwich is now in Lake County anyways. So. And pitching his rear end off too. He had 11 strikeouts in his last game. I, I'm yeah, he's, he's been shoving. Really enjoying him. Yeah. Did not expect that at all. Um Boy, we, we covered a lot here. Do you want to get to it? I don't think we can do all the questions, but we can do a few if you want. How about a rapid fire pace on them? All right. Let's 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 try to do rapid fire. Jeez. Um, we do like to get to our questions because people do take their time to write them to us. So let me see if I can find the tweet. Um, I have to go all the way back to earlier today. Um, here we go. So much. Okay. First, we've got... Uh, Hiram, he wants to know where will Chase DeLauder, uh, I didn't finish the question. I'm guessing where will he start? I'm assuming Lake County, but it won't be this year. 2022 Lake County? Yep, agreed. And then uh, he wanted to know if there was a pick that made you scratch your head the most. I don't know. I guess, uh, I don't know. I guess guess if you want to, we talked about Zibin in the 10th round, probably the only one, right? Just because of where it was. Um Knowing what it is, I mean, that was the pick that they were saving money for. I really scratched my head more on Javier Santos, Tejada, somebody I felt they could probably get later um, if they wanted to buy him down. A lot of risk for him in that uh, a guy that only been stateside one year. So I think Santos Tejada is almost like an international signing, um, even though he's a 19-year-old arm. I think there's yeah. he's raw. Um, he's a Dominican – Republic native. So, you know, just one side, one year state side, it, it's, it was a, an odd, but I think that Daniel Espino connection, premier Academy, 
a relationship that the organization has probably came into play. They probably feel that they can work with him. Uh, I think he's clay that they can mold, so to speak. But that, yeah, that absolutely, was one absolutely. that I questioned more than any of them um, on day two. Yeah, after you kind of described how it would be or with him with the connections and the limited track record um, and what I think the upside is, I understood the pick a little bit more, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, Nunzio is at a couple, so this is going to be hard to be rapid fire. Let's try to do it. Um, <clears throat> wanted to know, curious about this influx of, of outfield talent. How does it get absorbed in the 2023? I don't know. We don't really have time for that topic, he said. Um, no accounting of signings right now. We just know Zibin for sure. Uh, wants to ask if Tyler Freeman has 20 grade power. I don't think it's 20 grade power. I'm trying to think what we gave him. I have to go back and look, but it's not 20 grade. Uh, 45. I put a 45 on it. I, I could argue for 50 because he hits a lot of doubles and triples. Um, and I think he's already got five or six home runs on the year, pretty close to his career high. Yeah. And I went back and I checked, and the, that's evenly split between Columbus, which is a hitter's park, and on the road. So I think a 45 is a solid grade for Freeman. Uh, on yeah, we, we gave you gave him a forty in the preseason, so I mean yeah. forty plus. Yeah, I'll say that's that's fair. Definitely not twenty grade power. Um, I think we both think that maybe ten or twelve home runs is his long term upside power wise. Um, Captain Clutch is the fifteen or more inbound pitchers good enough haul with the young rotation? Does it make it easier to deal with what they already have? Um, I mean, maybe, but this was not a very pitching-focused class. So I don't, I don't think the the influx really says. I don't think this draft class class of pitchers really positions them to trade pitchers any more than they already were in position to do so. I think I don't think it changes anything, does it to you? No, it doesn't. In fact, if the Cleveland trades a pitcher like Zach Plesac, who's been rumored, I suspect they may bring back a pitcher in that deal too, um, yeah. for a lot of different reasons. But that's just been Cleveland's mo. You trade a big name pitcher, you bring back a couple of pitchers. Uh, bringing in 15 pitchers, that's actually 13, by the way, and eight position players. I predicted it would be six or seven position players. So going eight was one more than my max thought process. Um, 13 in this draft class, I don't think those 13 really impact. Uh, you end up with some guys out in Arizona. Humphrey stays in Arizona, Tejada, and Zibin all stay out in Arizona. Get your other guys like Jacobs and, and Jaziak healthy, and then um, – you know, the other guys wound up in Lynchburg and a few guys in, in, in Lake County. I don't think that really impacts that. But I think last year's draft class gives them depth to make some moves. That may be his point. Um, but they seem to layer some talent this year, which I like, putting some college guys in above some prep arms that you can develop too. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think it really changes anything too much, truthfully, with the, what they're um... – upper level who they're going to trade such as they trade a prospect either. That's the same thing. Um, also asked about um, Noel. Do you see his average improving over the next few years? He is young for the level, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I think there's a lot of swing and miss there. So um, I don't know. I, I think there's still some serious questions about the, the contact ability that, that people weren't aware of before. Um, Derek Deese, which of the 2022 draftees, do you see getting playing time in Lynchburg or Lake County before the year is over? That's a tough one. I don't know. They um, they got a few guys out to Lynchburg last year. Mm-hmm. You know, Aaron Davenport, I think, and Alaska Abney both ended up at Lynchburg last year, but not a ton. Um, yeah, maybe uh, 
Sean Rapp made a lot of appearances at North Carolina, 42 there. They may go with him. He's a pure reliever. Um, they may try to push out a Gio Rivera. Um, they went, they may want to see him. Um, maybe a guy like Jack Jaziak, who's said to be healthy. And uh, even as that, yeah, get him, get him some innings toward the end of the season. You're not going to see the prep arms at all this year. Those guys are going to hang out in Arizona and develop. I could see uh, Nate Furman going to Lynchburg. Maybe you can have a chance to promote Jake Fox to Lake County and replace him with Nate Furman, something like that. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Guy, I think anybody whose season ended, like, like Dylan Delucia is not going to pitch this year. Uh, Mexican Campbell, probably not. Anybody whose season didn't go deep into the summer in college, you won't see. Yep. Or Peterson, so any, you're any, not going to see him. Right. Yeah. I think you'll, like you said, Jaciak. Um, Tolo, maybe. Go, yeah. Those are guys you might see that didn't pitch deep into the season. Anybody who just, you know, because these guys got to ramp back up. They haven't played, so they have to ramp back up and then be ready to play. And um, most of these pitchers, you're not going to be doing that. You know, guys like, like you said, um, Jaziak has been ramping back up for a while just to make sure he's healthy, so he might be on a better track to pitch a few innings this year. Um, but, yeah, I would say – I think Nate Furman's a good option to get to Lynchburg at least. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. Maybe even um, Guy Lipscomb, too. What's that? Maybe even Guy Lipscomb, too, the – Outside yeah, yeah, but yeah, especially guys that have not, uh, like I said, haven't played in a while. Um, that's it for questions. So yeah, thanks to everybody who. Uh, oh, we have one late submission from Blaze. Um, first guy in the majors from the class. Well, you already said that. Um, that's going to be Parker Messick, right? Probably, not the I, guy I, who's going to think, but I, I think probably. Yeah, I could see him or Campbell. I think it'll be a race between those two who makes it first in the class. And I really um, like Campbell. So I mean. Yeah. Messick or, or Campbell, either or. Messick's a few months older, and, and just it feels like he's more refined um, with his command and being left-handed. He may just run up there, but I, I think Campbell has a lot of upside. I really like that arm. He was 20 on my board, and if they had popped him at 16, I'd have been happy uh, yeah. so long as they went under slot with him. So either of those two guys. And his last one was a guy after the draft of the fifth round who could see being a top 10 prospect down the line. After the fifth round? Um, Zibin. I guess Zibin, yeah. Zibin and and I guess even San, or, uh, Humphreys as well. Those two guys after the fifth round I think are yep. both you know high school pitchers with a lot of upside but a lot of risk. So if, if things break the way they, they hope, then yeah, they'll, they might be top 10 prospects. Yeah, I mean, Zibin reclassified, and that's part of the reason he was so young. So you're looking at a guy that was potentially a, a first, second rounder next year, and to get him in the 10th round this year and get all the development time in with him. Um, my concern with that is, you know, you have the five years, he'll have to be rostered and you start burning options on him. Um, but if he's the talent that I think he could be, that might not even matter anyways. Yeah. All right. Well, we're not going to get to players of the week picks this week. We'll, uh, we'll hold that off, especially because last week uh, – there was no games anyway, so um, there's a full slate of games coming up. I don't know. We'll maybe you and I will debate that uh, on, on the side, and then we'll we'll throw it in. We're not going to get to it on the podcast because we're yeah, we can put that on deep into it this week. Yeah, we still have the decided winners from the last couple weeks, so we'll get to that. I was I was willing to throw three weeks ago. We talked about Planez and Bybee and Gaddis and Jones. I was willing to call that a tie because you know you said you wanted your Jones pick to count, even though he made his major league debut that week. So I was willing to say that's a tie, and then. Two weeks ago was a tough one. So there's no draws in baseball, Justin. 
That's not true. There, there are draws in some some baseball. I think uh, the Cape Cod League. There's ties and um, spring training. Yeah, there's ties in spring training, and all we're good enough for is spring training. So that's what we do. All right. Well, we've gone long enough. We'll figure out the players of the week next time. Uh, next time we do this, Willie, it'll be the day before the trade deadline. So uh, I don't know if anything happens between now and then. I guess we can figure something out, and or I'll talk to somebody and. Um, if not, we'll be talking the day before the train deadline, and it could be an interesting discussion. So looking Absolutely. forward to that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for following, and thanks for reading. Like I said, great month for us at IBI or GBI. Wow. It's been a while since I slipped up like that. So uh, definitely time to get out of here. So uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks.